This is episode 211 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Are you interested in getting started in investing in the United States but not sure where to start? Why not attend the Investing in the U.S. Mastermind hosted by myself and Nick Van Dyke on March 4th, 2023. Nick and I will be covering topics ranging from A to Z, new construction, multifamily development, Airbnb, and much, much more, as well as the basics, including opening a bank account and understanding the proper corporate structure. We'll have several keynote speakers touching on very specific topics. And most importantly, you'll be sitting in a room with people who are highly focused and highly committed to investing in the United States. For more information, visit investinginthus.com and send me a DM on Instagram for a special discount code. I'll look forward to seeing you at the event. Welcome to episode 211 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Adam Martin on the show. Adam was on the show right back near the very beginning, somewhere around March 2019. I started recording this show in February 2019. So he was an early guest and he was up to really awesome stuff then. And he's certainly evolved since then. Adam is an entrepreneur through and through. You can tell his mindset's in the right place. You could tell that he works a lot on personal development. He's built a $3 million a year wholesaling business and since scaled that down and converted it into an acquisitions business. So for those who don't know Matt, he was working with Jeff Weibo and Matt McKeever at the time. And then he eventually bought them out of the wholesaling business. And this was a business that they just started not really knowing what they were doing. So Matt started the business. Everyone was sort of guessing. They were working it together. But we really talked about the dynamic that these guys had when they all lived in a house together, kind of like people do in university, except they were all focused on generating income in real estate. This is something I've always respected the heck out of them for because I think that that's just such a lethal combo, something that that helps keep your mindset in the right place. Of course, it's a grind. And Adam dug into that experience in this episode and much, much more. It was super interesting. We could have gone Joe Rogan style a whole three hours on this one, but we kept it pretty close to a one hour episode. So just before we jump into the episode, if you could make sure you hit like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the episode or if you have any questions for us. And if you're an audio listener, make sure you leave us a favorable review and a five-star rating. It'd be greatly appreciated appreciate it and it'll help more people find the show. Also, I want to make a quick note about REI Hot Seat. If you haven't been following that show weekly, I highly recommend you do. If you love digging into the numbers, digging into the analysis, you won't want to miss this one. Also, Jacob Campanero is constantly sharing deals that are off market. He has a direct line on. So if you want to see these unique deals, make sure you're tuning in. We'll see you over there on that channel. Now, without further ado, let's jump into episode 211 with Adam Martin. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got back after a few years since like episode like 23, Adam Martin. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's been a long time since we last talked and, you know, a lot's happened in the world and a lot's happened in business. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, that would have been what, like, yeah, it was 2019, early 2019 that we did that, probably March or something. So yeah, it's been a while, 2023 now. So um, yeah, I guess we're just about to the... It's almost four years then. Yeah. No, it's it's been a long time. Like a lot wow. has changed since then. I actually yeah. went back and re-listened to the episode just because yeah. I, I'd literally forgotten everything I was talking about at that point. And we were talking yeah. about sort of my first deal. We talked about vendor take back mortgages. We talked yeah. about uh, sort of like the beginnings of what became the wholesaling business. And yeah, it was a fascinating Yeah, man, episode. you've done so much since then. Yeah, you were very much just kind of 
getting it started. I think you were living with uh, Matt McKeever and friends in the yep. in the mansion. And uh, tell me what's what's happened since then. Yeah, I mean, it's been an exciting few years. Obviously, uh, the world threw some curveballs at us, which was fascinating. But mm-hmm. uh, in between there, like bought several buildings. Uh, I know we talked about that first VTB where I got like those crazy terms, the 96% yeah, uh, loan to value, 3% interest, 13-year term. Yeah. I, uh, I sold that building, but I've negotiated about another 15 VTBs of not the same caliber, but similar caliber. Yeah. So that that's been exciting. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and we'll jump into some examples of because that's obviously a very valuable strategy. Vendor take back mortgages for anyone not familiar. These you know creative strategies are going to become more and more useful with the current market. Yeah, uh, and the high interest rates, right? Getting around those high interest rates. Yeah. Are you are you still negotiating deals now? Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. um up five units for the year so far, and I think it's January. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11th today so <laughs> not not doing too bad but just got a, a very large like 90 percent vtb on a commercial residential split building uh closing march 30th so what's uh, that. so that's a five unit yeah yeah okay so where, whereabouts is that one uh, it's in stainer ontario which stainer. is kind of uh the armpit of the world where i was growing <laughs> up but uh I, i'm from collingwood so stainer yeah. is a market i'm very familiar with i've it's driven like, through there yeah yeah and that's the thing is you actually have to drive through there. So if yeah. you want to go to Collingwood where, you know, a lot of people from Toronto have their cottages or their yeah. little ski chalets and things like that, um, you have to drive through Stainer. So it, it's, it perfectly lines up with Airport Road and anybody coming from Barrie. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually like an extremely high traffic area mm-hmm. um, that you just must cross through if you have your if you have your place in Collingwood. So yeah. So if you're not. coming from Toronto area, you're going to yeah. go through there. Yeah, you have to. And it's it's about maybe 15 minutes from blue mountain so it's actually a really ideal location and it's it's positioned perfectly where uh the local people never really wanted to live there because yeah. it didn't have the amenities like it just didn't have the mm-hmm. you know some of the nicer things that collingwood had in its downtown or what blue mountain village was offering yeah uh, but since you know collingwood's been appreciating massively for the last few years and and like every other you know big city small town that's adjacent mm-hmm. situation Things have just overflowed. Uh, over so you're getting people renting for for going to Blue. They're renting in Stainer. Absolutely. So you're doing vacation rental with this, or is that the plan? Uh, no, we'll do long term. Yeah. Uh, the long term rental numbers there are fantastic. Um, again, as a as a consequence of Collingwood blowing up, like you know, I, I even was looking for the last two three months for a place in Collingwood. And if you're looking at rent, it's anywhere from three thousand to four thousand dollars a month for a whole house. Yeah. Uh, and if you're looking at seasonal rentals, I mean, they're in the it's like twenty twenty to thirty thousand to stay for three four months uh, yeah. with a fully furnished seasonal. So a lot of the locals have been priced out of the market, and mm-hmm. naturally they just move to these other communities that are basically right. the same. I mean, a fifteen minute drive if you work in Collingwood, that's not a big yeah. deal, right? Um, so, so that's push rents up there big time. Push the rents up. So just pushing the people out of Collingwood yeah. proper, Blue Mountain proper, they're going to go to these other cities. So what are you looking at then for, like, is it a mix of one and two beds or is there a... So there's two two bedrooms, yeah. one one bedroom, yeah. and then two commercial units in the bottom. Okay. Uh, the commercial units, I, I honestly, I don't really know a lot about commercial. Uh, I've only done multifamily residential or single families to this mm-hmm. point. So... It's going to be a learning experience yeah. for me, but uh, currently there's a barber shop there and a like custom t-shirt slash like printing business that's okay. in the bottom. So 
yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where that goes because I, yeah. I really just don't know about what, that type of thing. What kind of income are those commercial units bringing in? They're currently paying uh, just over $900 a month. Each. Each. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the, the residentials were actually surprisingly paying about the same. So for so all five units. times three. Five. So, oh, so 900 times five across yeah. the board. Then. Yeah. It's roughly yeah. that. And then they all yeah. pay their own utilities. So 4,500, everyone pays their own utilities. Yep. So what other expenses do you have on the building? Just taxes, insurance? Taxes, insurance, and, uh, it, you know, regular maintenance or whatever will be included. Yeah. So there, there's a decent, it's a decent sized lot. So we'll have like snow removal, grass, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting one of the units vacant on possession, which is fantastic. And it's a two bed, uh, market rent there might be 1800, something like that. Double, double, about double, I would think. Um, and and so I think that's going to be exciting, but the real thing for me again, has always been like, if we're talking about price or terms, I'm going to prioritize terms. Uh, and so we got this 90% vendor take back at 5.6%. Mm-hmm. Uh, interest only payments and that's okay. a three-year term so it's fantastic yeah interest only and the purchase price I think is 716 yeah i was gonna ask you how you went about pricing that out like did you did you run like a projected income uh like what did you figure your your cap rate was on purchase and what did you figure you're going to get it to relative to what you paid <laughs> this is again like another sort of uh, embarrassing thing for me but i just i, I didn't really at, look at that yeah yeah like, yeah no and, and that's totally fine like everyone has their own look right like yeah you know everyone sizes things up differently so i'm just curious how you did yeah so what i looked at was sort of the current uh current rents what i figure market rents are and, and, and what do you think like across the board so 1800 times three plus potentially more on the commercial or even leave the commercial alone. I have no idea what the commercials <laughs> will go for. Uh, I have an idea that you could get about 1800 average for the three residentials. Yeah. And that's where I get excited about, again, those terms that I got. Cause with the current yeah. vendor take back, the actual mortgage payment is 2,700 and change. So okay. your cash flow neutral day one with a vacant unit. And so yeah. once you once you actually fill that unit at market rents, and of course there will be yeah. maybe forty thousand in renos or whatever. Like it needs flooring, it needs kitchen, it needs paint, it needs to be cleaned up. Yeah. Once you've done all that stuff, it, yeah. it actually looks like a pretty exciting opportunity. So let's just go through the numbers real quick here. Sure. So seven hundred and what to buy? Seven sixteen. It's like seven fifteen and change. So. Okay, so seven sixteen, and then reno. You're not renoing anything else, but you would reno that unit. Yeah, like probably forty. Forty. Pretty clean, simple, yeah. two-bedroom renovation. Okay, so you're gonna be all in for just around fifty thousand or seven fifty, something like that. Seven fifty-six. Okay, and rents could be. I just ran some quick numbers. So say you did eighteen hundred times those three units. Yeah. I guess you would have to renovate those units too, though, if they turned over. Each one would require yeah. roughly the same investment. Like yeah. they're all pretty tired. Uh, yeah. But there's nothing, I, I, from my perspective, there's nothing structural or like anything serious. It's all yeah. lipstick stuff. The one question mark that I actually do have about the building uh, that I'm, I'm reserving yeah. in my head like 40 or 50K for is I, I just have no idea what condition the flat roof's in. Yeah. Uh, there's no water damage anywhere at this moment. But like, I feel like yeah. those are the type of things where you just wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden it's like fully in need of repair. So yeah, yeah, to uh, replace the whole thing. So I'm just, that's in my mind is yeah. something that's like a question mark. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, everything else will stay. It's really just lipstick in the units. Okay. So what are uh, approximate taxes on that place? 
no idea. Like I five, you think ask. five, six, seven I, grand, something like that? I bet you would be closer to 10K, 10K for the year. Yeah. And then insurance on something like that, you're going to be like four grand or something. Yeah. Because it's got a commercial element. Yep. Maintenance, I'm going to leave five in there for utilities, nothing, right? Yep. So do they have electric baseboard heating in those units? Or? It's, it's, it's furnace central boiler uh it's a cent yeah it's like a central boiler okay then you'd probably have central water and gas no yeah i honestly i haven't even been to the building <laughs> i actually love that like, i literally I mean, haven't been to the building so so let's just say three thousand potential utilities uh just for the common stuff yep if that's there um i like and i want to get into like that mindset how that works are you gonna have it managed or do you have your own team that'll manage we have an internal team that's so far been doing very well at managing things throughout London and Cambridge. So mm-hmm. it, it's a bit far for them to like manage, yeah. you know, a hundred percent, but I don't yeah. see any real reason. Like once these units are turned over that it would need a bunch of management. So yeah, you could probably manage from afar if you had somebody handy nearby that could just take care of things. Yeah. And I do cause like yeah. it's close to my hometown as well. So yeah. I, I actually do have a superior network there of contractors and like that type of thing. Like very you need cool. a maintenance would be simple. Yeah. Okay, so let's say hypothetically uh, management, I just threw in 5%. I mean, you're probably not that. We could play with that. But 1500 for landscaping and snow uh, yep. a year. I mean, smaller towns, you can tend to get a little bit better pricing on that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, miscellaneous, 500. I've got 3000 for utilities, 4000 for insurance, taxes, 10000 yep. And if you are all in for after the renovations of those three units, you'd be 836 And that's you know about a 6.9 percent cap rate yep but the most exciting thing is obviously your financing terms because yeah what's the what's the mortgage amount it's like 2700 no the uh the, the principal oh amount. the actual principal yeah. it's it's 90 percent of 716 so whatever that is uh, okay. like six six point something nine times seven sixteen uh 644 sure yeah okay so that works out to be about say 70 77 percent of what you'll be all in so it might not be exactly 90 percent, but that's the way it looks in my mind okay well let's just say hypothetically you're there so you're you know we'll call it a thousand year amortization because it's cash it's just interest only and you're five point five point six six yeah that's pretty generous on, on the interest rate it's not bad for no that's good these that's days. good for you nice that's for good me. for you so yeah. you, the seller was a little resistant to giving a did you offer that or did he actually came up with the terms, really, uh, which is kind of exciting for me. Like, Really? Yeah. The thing for me was I had positioned it that that price was aggressive right now for the current rents. And uh, and it had already been talked to him. Like, th- essentially, two other people had already tried to buy it. Yeah. They had issues coming up with the cash, which I found a little bit ridiculous given the down payment. Like, it wasn't a large down payment mm-hmm. to me but i personally know these other two people and they just kind of slid slid the deal over to me and i was like yeah, yeah. of course like I'll, I'll talk to this guy and we can figure out yeah. the terms so negotiated the vacancy he actually wanted to do the interest only and that rate and then the real part on my behalf uh was just really getting in that loan to value locked in yeah so you just wanted to get 90 percent or or yep. above a, yeah obviously around that helps. There. yeah that helps a ton to do a lot more deals um okay so you so you mentioned you had a contact to share it with you. Yeah, that, that helped. The area itself, you've got contacts there, no problem. 
Do you own other stuff in that area? I, I own nothing there. So yeah. that, that, that was a little bit new. unfortunate, but yeah. I, again, I have my primary network there of contractors, people, yeah. like, people that can do that work for very cheap for me. And like, yeah, I actually have a few people there that I've done private loans for that would probably yeah. prefer to pay me back in labor rather than, uh, yeah. Than the actual cash, which again just works out for me in terms of a cash flow position. So nice. Well, this one would work out to be, and based on my rough numbers, and obviously there's going to be a give and take here, but eighteen fifty five a month cash flow if you turn over those other two units. Yep. Now that's assuming you put in forty grand each time you turn them over. So those numbers would be adjusted. If you didn't do that, you'd still probably cash flow. We could play with that real quick as well. But um, yeah, it looks like a solid deal, and potentially in this market, rents probably going to continue to go up in those type of markets. I, I would think so, but we just experienced something strange. I have a triplex in London and uh, it was actually interesting to have it rented uh, at rates that we thought were, you know, top of the market, but still competitive, mm. uh, sat for a little while. And there's some seasonality there because we tried to rent it kind of December. Yeah, uh, So that's time. always that's always brutal. Like you obviously, yeah. if in a perfect world, you just wouldn't do that, but yeah. that's when we finished reno. So. Uh, we have two out of three units vacant uh, across December and now January and just got a tenant. Yeah. Um, like literally today, kind of finalized paperwork. He got his right. insurance and all that. And he he ended up signing with us at a price that was like $150 a month less than what mm -hmm. we thought would be like a competitive top of market mm -hmm. for a freshly renovated unit. Um, one bed. Okay. It's only one bed. but And we locked in for that 1500 a month plus utilities a one bed and whereabouts is this you said it's it's in london it's uh i don't even know what like the neighborhood is called it's, yeah area. it's it's a pretty good area it's like b plus okay central ave um okay the nicer part of central ave so interesting uh, okay. i guess it's technically woodfield there okay and so just uh was it a smaller unit yeah i mean it's not a large unit but we yeah. renovated it very nicely like okay nice shower tiles included tile parking everywhere. uh parking's included yeah. Uh, laundry is the one thing that's not in his unit. So there's paid laundry um, yeah. at the back of the unit for everybody. Yeah. Um, so maybe that has some something. people don't. Yeah. I feel like that's for me, that'd be a deal breaker. Like I want laundry in unit, but yeah. I, and I know some people probably feel the same. Like a lot of professionals feel the same. They want laundry in unit. Yeah. So, I, I would assume that was kind yeah. of one of the thing, the details yeah. that actually did get us. Cause if you look at rentals.ca, they're year over year and I haven't looked it up in the last week, but yeah, um, as of I think December, they were up thirty percent year over year rental wow. rates yeah. on two beds. Amazing and similar for uh, for one beds. Isn't that wild? Like in one year? No, it's extraordinary. And uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure we'll we'll get a little bit more into uh, yeah. sort of our theory of what's what's likely here. But from my perspective, like I would think yeah. exactly what you just said. Like I would think that rents would continue going up, and that it would yeah. be harder actually for the average person to own a home in the next you know, zero yeah. to three years. So, yeah, I mean, as as I've mentioned a few times in the in recent history on this podcast, like I, I think that there's just not enough precedent to suggest rates would come back down within the next year. Like the, historically, there's just pretty much no precedent for that. Right. In this type of situation where they're trying to combat a pretty high inflation that's obviously understated. Um, you know, they, it, at very most, I would say, a, a ceasing of, of the raises after they do these next two. Yeah. And that's because if you look at year over year, if you look at where our, our inflation started to peak in terms of a percentage rate year over year, was that closer to the summer, like April, May, June, that kind of time frame, 
we're going to start to see the relative inflation look lower because you had your big jump a year before. So I, I think we're going to start to see that uh, CPI come down as a percentage year over year increase, and that might cool them off uh, for a bit. Who knows? Maybe they do start dropping rates and say, hey, we overdid it. We overcooked it. It's possible. I mean, you could say things have no precedent, but look at the last three years that had no precedent. So, uh, yeah, or at least that we know of. Right. I mean, history is like, how much do you really know? Uh, you know, you know what you were told. Yeah. All. And I, and I yeah. think that's actually that's a great yeah. perspective as well. But I, I do have uh, thoughts that like political like elections or something like that could just change the landscape a little bit or perhaps be like uh not a black swan, but definitely like an event that would potentially mm -hmm. change the course of where we're going. But in any event, I think all those changes are still slow. Yeah. So I think that that makes rentals very attractive for this year. And oh, yeah. We, we've really wound down like we've ratcheted down the wholesaling business quite a bit with that mm -hmm. in mind. Um, so from the perspective of like this is probably uh, at least from from my point of view, we're entering a buying season rather than oh, yeah. a you know, peak market, bull run, everybody wants to yeah. like viciously overpay for properties. Yeah, we were in a very extreme seller's market. And it, exactly. We, you know, depending on where you look, you might still be in somewhat of a seller's market, but rel relative to what it was, it's not, not even close. Yeah. And that's why prices are coming down because where supply and demand meet is, is your strike price. That's yep. where your, your properties are, are trading. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess time will tell. I, I still think, yeah, like when people see these interest rates, and they're still not sure, they still see prices coming down, let's just rent. Yep. And that could be for years yet. Like the prices could still be, you know, stagnant, maybe coming down a bit for years. Um, so I do think that there's opportunity. But with that said, from an investor standpoint, isn't this always what we wanted? We, you know, we have an opportunity to buy with, you know, record setting rent rates and prices down at, you know, what are we at now? Almost 2019 levels, 2020 levels, early yep. 2020. Um, that's that's you know you ask anybody last year if that sounds appealing and they would have said so <laughs> yeah 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 if people are funny with their psychology yeah. though like everybody wants to buy the top and sell the bottom it, generally yeah. speaking like i think that's why you see yeah. uh congregation of wealth at the top it's like yeah people, the people that are disciplined not to sell the bottom and not to buy the top are are likely the ones that that win and it's like a yeah. fairly basic equation yeah yeah, I mean, well, why don't you talk about how you guys adjusted when the interest rates started getting uh, jacked up? I mean, there's so much we could talk about since the last time we talked, but uh, when interest rates started getting jacked up, obviously, you guys probably had quite a few properties under contract. It scared some people, but there was still stuff happening at that time, right? There was a surprising amount of business that continued longer than it likely should have. Like if mm -hmm. people were really thinking this through, like mm -hmm. a lot of people were still in the flipping mindset. And so yeah. like I've been exposed now to hundreds of deals, right? My yeah. wholesaling company took down hundreds of deals in the last few years. And we've dealt with probably close to $100 million of volume. And so that's allowed me a relatively unique insight into, you know, what all of the investors are doing. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is charitable when you consider like what's your individual perspective and how like broadly can you think versus actually negotiating and putting your hands on the deals that hundreds of investors are thinking through. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause often we would have an opportunity to talk through like, what's your strategy on this? Like what, how do you imagine this is going to be executed? Yeah. And a lot buyers. of the people who have bought our deals have made considerably more money than we ever did on the deal. Mm -hmm. But that's how the model was sort of laid out. Like that's what, yeah. how it should have played out. 
one thing that I found surprising was people continued buying with a flipping mindset much further into uh, the market that I would call like uncertainty or like heading towards maybe a bearish market or, you know, recession type behavior. But they, they were yeah. still flipping and, and very aggressively approaching yeah. deals. And, and that's how you lose money. Well, that's how you, for sure. Flipping I mean, in, a, in a market that's declining is a very tough game. I don't know who can, I think the only way that you can come out ahead of that is if you're like extremely efficient somehow. You're really quick and you're buying at like 55 cents on ARV, something like that. You have to be buying really great. You're super efficient and and your cost of capital is really low, I think is the only way to really do Mm -hmm. that. But um, that wasn't the profile of everybody that we were seeing that were still hungry for deals. So we started noticing that fairly early that the market conditions had changed and that the deals um, that were coming towards us. So th- there's this dichotomy, right? The seller wants the price that was apparent over the last 90 days. The buyer wants the price that they forecast for the f- next 90 yeah. days. Yeah. There's this really bad um, dichotomy there where like basically everybody wants the opposite thing. Mm-hmm. The seller's convinced their house is still worth, let's just say a million dollars. Yeah, that's the part that takes forever. The, it's, it's reconvincing the sellers of what their property is really it, worth. It's so fast yeah. because the buyers are really quick to understand like, oh, if this is a falling knife, it's going yeah. to continue falling, right? Gravity but does the its job. Think it. The seller doesn't want to, I don't know if they don't want to believe cope it, yeah. with it or whatever. Uh, and so that posed a really interesting challenge for the wholesaling business in and of itself, right? Is like, we are now ha- facing a very hard time to get great deals and our buyers are scared to buy even good deals, right? Where in the, in the past few years, it's been uh, very easy to understand the math of a mm-hmm. bull market, right? Like generally speaking, speaking, a lot of people were speculating and they were buying buildings and yes, they were doing strategic renovations, but they were also taking gambles on buildings that were, uh, you know, objectively overpriced. But, mm-hmm. you know, what the hell are you going to do? Uh, to tell somebody about their business model. Like I'm not, when you're doing a wholesale deal, you're not there to tell somebody how to run their business. You're there to understand what exactly their needs are, right, Mm -hmm. in the deal. So from our perspective, we saw this happening. We saw the market shifting. And I've still been really uh, careful about what deals I've entered. So um, I think all of this has given me a perspective that like, you know, if you can detach from the situation, take a 10,000 foot view and just try and be objective about what you're actually buying and try not to fall into the hype mm-hmm. in the market, the excitement in the market, numbers go up, you know, a printing press is running. Uh, it becomes pretty clear that like, you know, th- there was a cliff here that we have to fall off. And uh, so I, I was very careful with the deals that we bought the last couple of years. Uh, I've stuck and sort of made it my brand to... Uh, really only buy the deals that are vendor takebacks. And my thesis there has just been to be insulated from market conditions like this. So there's a couple things when you negotiate these deals, you need a long enough term to truly be insulated. Um, so a lot of people, vendor takebacks have come like into the meta recently. People have been talking about them the last few years. It's been coming back into vogue. Um, I think they were very popular in the late 80s, um, 90s, when interest rates were insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the last few years, the way that I positioned it to every seller that sold to me is just like the reason it's the reason I'm thinking about it so much isn't the interest rates because they were so low, like 1.6, 2%, right? Sub three rates for the last few years. And from my perspective, it was the purchase price that was doing the same thing that interest rates were doing in the 80s and 90s. And that was a, a way to pitch some of the old boys that knew exactly what I was talking about. 
Like if you wanted to buy a building from somebody that's been investing for 30 years, if you explain to them that the purchase price problem of this like massive uh, inflationary appreciation over the last few years is the same problem that a high interest rate was in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. they instantly understand what you're talking about. And they've been very willing to offer you a vendor take back mortgage. So yeah. from that perspective, though, you have to appreciate at the same time when you're negotiating this vendor take back that like market conditions will happen regardless of the terms that you negotiate on this vendor take back. And at the end of your term, you still face market conditions. That's a real consideration when you're looking at these vendor take backs. It's like you must insulate yourself from the risk that is in the future. Yeah. Now, the problem with that is you get into these crystal ball situations where like, mm-hmm. What, what's in the future? Well, it's really hard to tell. Like, you know, who, who yeah, saw yeah. The, the rates going from 1.6 to where they are yeah. today? Yeah, I mean, how much insulation can you really have with three years? Uh, again, like I go back to the precedent in the 80s. It was like, you know, mid 80s, uh, high teens interest rates took until 2000 to come down to 6%-ish. Yeah. And kind of stayed in that ballpark up until 2008 when that's when we finally started to see the era of like 3% and lower yep. kind of rates. So, you know, how much insulation do you have? I mean, of course, precedent just doesn't mean that much these days. Like, I mean, of course, it still does. And that's not advice to anybody. But um, when you see things that just don't have a precedent, it makes you scratch your head and say, hey, what's going to happen? And that's why nobody has a crystal ball. No one can say. Well, Um, and that's where buying, like focusing on the purchase and buying smart has always been the way to do it. And do you so like, feel like you're getting great deals like that 715,000 that you paid there? Is that is that a great deal? Is that an okay deal? Uh, is that a deal that you paid maybe a bit more than you should have, but you're getting uh, great terms? On that particular deal, um, if you look at that, that's like roughly 140 a unit. Yeah. Um, your rents are gonna come in at roughly that 1600, mm-hmm. maybe 1800 on some of them. Yeah. Um, that to me seems like a great deal. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the other conditions, I, I think there's an issue with isolating a particular property at a particular snapshot in time mm-hmm. and just not thinking about what else is going on. Like yeah. Stainer's population has has pretty much doubled in the last oh, yeah. uh, you know, foreseeable history. That my, my lifetime anyways, it's at least doubled, maybe tripled. Um, they're approved now to get a McDonald's in the town following mcdonald's you'll probably see a starbucks you'll see all those basic things coming in and all those anchor tenants they've got subdivisions coming up everywhere from every side of the town um and when you look at the explosion in collingwood and blue mountain and you just mm-hmm. see like just look at the future right and yeah i've been working and doing all my investing primarily in london you look at Kamoka, you look at lambeth yeah you look at kilworth these were obvious plays um what was there when they were obvious? Nothing. It was like a, yeah. a terrible little diner, yeah. right? And uh, and a gas station. And now yeah. it's like, oh yeah. And now every single person that yeah, wants, I think the you're onto something. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Anyway, I think people even use Stainer as like a bedroom for for Blue Mountain. You know, they get little yeah. little bus transport that can take people up to Blue and back. Yep. Like that's all. That's all it takes. Yeah, just it, a quick little bus shuttle. The the other yeah. thing to consider is they've recently built the casino in Wasaga Beach, mm-hmm. and they've. I'm not going to go ahead and say recent because it actually did take them like 30 years, my entire life to build this highway. But they now have this freaking highway that that's incredible. I mean, now you go from Wasega Beach to Collingwood in uh, instead of on a two lane road, right? Single, single. 
uh, it would take like 35 minutes before. Now it's like 10 minutes and you're there because it's, well, it's like a four lane highway. Yeah, it's just a big highway like a, like a, what any other city would ever have. Yeah, uh, like and a, it took, you can go 100 on it. Yeah, you can go 110 on it. Yeah. Right. And so you're flying down this road now and you can just see what's going to happen in the next 10 years. And I think mm. that's a better perspective. I like to think of these acquisitions as like, you know, the pricer terms today, obviously they need to make sense. It, yeah. it really does. If you can insulate yourself for three years on a vendor take back mortgage uh, from the from the local market conditions, that's great. Um, how, how do you feel that it's insulated you from the local market conditions? Well, at 5%, so my way of thinking about the vendor take back mortgages is, am I happy with these terms regardless of what happens outside of my deal? So when I had bought that first deal at mm -hmm. 3%, right? 96% loan to value, 13 mm -hmm. year term, whatever. My mindset there was like, in 13 years, am I gonna be pissed off that the interest rates are 1.6% and I'm paying three? Yeah. No. You don't care about that. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective on this particular deal, uh, I have no idea what commercial lending rates are right now, but at 5.6%, yeah. if I don't have to go qualify well. for that, I don't need to talk to anybody about yeah. my finances, my credit, my utilization. Oh, no, that's amazing. Yeah. All that shit. And I can just instantly yeah. walk into this deal that's cash flow neutral day yeah. one with a vacant unit. That That's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. Now, in terms of the market conditions, if rates go up, uh, in the next few years, say they go to 8%, 9%, whatever they look like yeah. on a commercial mortgage side of things. Like I'm sitting here paying 5.6 during the period where cash is most important to me. And that's yeah. the turnaround period. Yeah. So, so you're going to get it turned around. You get the rents up. You might replace, I mean, that we're renegotiate the commercial tenants, get that up a little bit so that when you do come back around to the higher interest rate, if that happens, you'll have the ability to weather that storm. It'll be okay. Yeah. And, and for me, it just comes, it's a, it's sort of a straight line methodology of looking at the building. Like I always know what the building's going to cost. It's that $2,700 payment every single month. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that really helps me. And I don't know how other investors think through this, but for me, that really helps me to understand like on all of my buildings, I know all of the payments for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, and th that just helps me to, to detach a bit from the situation and then prioritize the things that need to get done in order to face whatever market conditions yeah. are actually happening. Well, outside. I mean, at the end of the day, the price, if you're not planning on selling immediately, the price of your building, according to the market, shouldn't really matter that it, much. It doesn't, unless you're trying to refinance or yeah, something. Yeah, if you're but. trying to refi, that that matters. But if you've got your financing figured out, you've, you're willing to put in the reno money and you don't need the refi, I think that you're kind of in a position where, where that works better. I mean, I love to have the ability, you know, 10 plus years if I buy something like, hey, if I needed to, I could hang on to this for 10 plus. Yep. Um, because it's a good building. So you don't buy buildings that suck. Buy buildings that you, you wouldn't mind owning for a long time. And yeah. and that way, if the you know prices will fluctuate, I do think on the other end of this, we go to, you know, well out of reach prices, highest we've ever seen. I do think on and I don't know how long it takes to get there. That's yep. the question mark. Uh, but but I mean, if history's not taught us anything, real estate is uh, the yo-yo on an escalator. It's yeah. always going up, but it's going up and down as it goes up. Yeah. And yeah. I, I fully buy into that mindset as well, that like there's probably like a super cycle type situation mm -hmm. on the end of this. And and I, I would like to be positioned for that. So, yeah. you know, the last few years we really prioritized because I was uncertain of when this cliff was coming, but I mm -hmm. knew for sure there had to be something waiting yeah. for us. And so we, we did a lot of deals. Like we, we did a lot of deals. Our buyers made a lot of money. We made a lot of money, mm -hmm. built a great and successful team, uh, really systematized and like built the processes out to be mm -hmm. like, if not the best wholesaling company in Canada, then 
in the top three for sure. So who's involved in this whole wholesaling company? Well, again, we've really wound it down. Like I took it down. So I had who like, were the partners or are the partners in it? Uh, when we started, it was Matt McKeever, Jeff Weibo. Um, yeah. I bought both of them out at some point uh, and then really took into just hiring people. So we mm-hmm. hired a, you know, a very high performing sales team. Uh, found a business partner for a separate business in Rebecca Matheson, who's been mm-hmm. working with us for a few years and, uh, yeah. took the business to seven figures in a couple of years and then did, uh, did that again, like tripled, uh, sort of our best year. And, and then last year was really slow. Cause like I said, the market was transitioning and it was very difficult to navigate. So yeah. we really pared it down. And started shifting our focus into the acquisition side, and so just building your your portfolio. Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like this it'd be a similar story from a lot of wholesalers. I had uh, the guys from SLG on a while back, and they were still you know pushing stuff. They weren't kind of sure. It was a little earlier on in all this, um, but I think everyone's getting that same resistance, right? Because yeah. it takes so much time for sellers to adjust their expectation. Yep, that's the part that kills you, right? Like the buyers, people in in our shoes who are objective, like we look at it and we say, well. Yeah, I don't like that my value's down, but if I don't sell it now, it's probably going to be worth less tomorrow if you need to sell. Or you're looking at it if you're flipping, saying, hey, I want to make X number and I need to insulate myself, so I need to get it for this price. Yeah. And uh, you're not emotional about it because it's, it's your business. But yeah, so many people are emotional about it. So Yeah, and it's understandable. I mean, for most people, they're selling the largest asset that they, yeah, if they have home, ever right? owned and, and pro- likely will yeah. ever own, right? And that's that's obviously a largely emotional thing. And for yeah. a lot of these people, when we're talking about, you know, the basic stuff we would wholesale would be like four units and under that was kind mm-hmm. of our specialization, right? We did, we did hundreds of single families. And with that, like you raised your family there, right? Yeah. Maybe you, you remember having your pets there. You remember walking to school from there. You remember, uh, your commutes to work and like, you, you just, you have all these connections mm-hmm um that can't be ignored and so mm-hmm. when when you're telling somebody like hey like i understand all these things i truly do and the market has dropped 20 percent yeah like, in the last few months uh it's not it's not easy for them to make that connection yeah so so you're not really even trying with that anymore you're not hitting anybody with flyers anymore we've really stopped in the flyers and one of the reasons for that is i burned like i burned like 80 grand on flyers or something that had like literally no return yeah. Um, and so one of the issues the last few years too, is like, we did all, done a bunch of different ventures. And yeah. one of them that I participated with was like Cashflow tribe, right? Which mm-hmm. was like an educational teaching platform. I think it's still operating, but I have no involvement there. So you exited, um, were you like a partner in that? I, I was just primarily doing yeah. education on there for wholesaling. Yeah. Cause that was like you and Matt were involved in that. And I think, was it Ben? And Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But one of, one of the challenges there is like, we really like put the the speakerphone, put it on blast that like wholesaling is one of the ways that you could actually enter real estate. It worked mm-hmm. very successfully for me, uh, mm-hmm. built a sales team, you know, 10, 12 people, maybe a few more than that of just guys that had no experience and were able to generate literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue um, with mm-hmm. fairly basic training. I mean, like we developed a, a fantastic set of systems and processes to be able to handle that amount of volume and we cultivated a great buyers list. So I think those are key success factors, mm-hmm. but we were essentially able to take people with zero real estate experience and turn them into high, high performers in the industry in almost no time. I mean, like sub mm-hmm. sub 12 months for a lot of these guys. 
And that's where, you know, when we, we taught a lot of people how to do this and how we were doing it. And so you basically taught what flooded. you learned, like you learned this sort of from Matt and team or like, how did you learn it? What? Just brute force. Like we, we were out. So Matt had no idea how to do it. We basically uh, stole the strategies from the Americans. Like, yeah, because you guys were States. early on in this, right? Were you among the first like that were really For on sure. the wholesaling train? Because then obviously Luke popped up as a big wholesaler. Luke was probably the like front runner. Yeah, Luke, right. And he was doing it. great. And he yeah. had actually developed uh, some really brilliant systems. And so yeah. we borrowed a lot of his yeah. uh, artwork as well, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we knew exactly how he was doing things and we just kind of took that and scaled it, right? Yeah. And, and I think that was really... It was exciting, but we also flooded the market with things like the yellow letter strategy. Oh, yeah. Like people got so desensitized to that. Because oh, yeah. I remember first time I sent out letters, like I got so many calls I couldn't handle them. Yeah. I sent out a couple, I think I sent out 12,000 letters and my phone blew up. It was right before my wedding. I could not even go out to see these places. I, I, I think got, we like, actually had a call around that time. Yeah, two or 300. I had two or 300 calls and I couldn't even handle yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we it, I don't know over the lifetime of the business, but we would do drops where we would literally get 2000 phone calls yeah and so like the one of the challenges with the business that was hard yeah. to sort of really devise was like how the hell do you manage all this stuff yeah what we opted for was a highly specialized um a highly specialized process where every individual did you know carried a little bit of the weight mm -hmm. right who's going to carry the boats um and so we hired like specifically someone to take the inbound calls we hired a full-time accountant we hired and these are all local hires yeah. yeah, they were all pretty much people who were connected to you. Was it yep. an Indeed ad or it was like through your network? Uh, we paid a recruiter for the accountant, yeah. uh, but it turned out to be a dude that I used to get, you know, shit faced with and party in uh, college, which is hilarious. Oh, okay. uh, nice. He went to Laurier and uh, he was studying accounting there and became uh, like a financial sort of auditor. And yeah. Uh, anyways, we hired him full time. Like we built all this infrastructure out, mm -hmm. uh, which ultimately was rather expensive. Yeah. Um, and we scaled really fast and that that was expensive too and so we were sending hundreds of thousands of these flyers but then we were also teaching a lot of other students how to send these flyers and so like yeah. the the market got really saturated like canada's not that big yeah and southern ontario is a lot smaller than canada yeah and we had a lot of people from windsor from sarnia from london uh kitchener waterloo cambridge guelph sending these damn flyers yeah. and so we ultimately kind of killed our own strategy which kind of mm -hmm. sucked um, and that sort of led me to really be thinking a little bit longer too. Like, okay, this was the strategy to get you into real estate. Yeah. Uh, how are you going to stay in real estate? Like forever right. intergenerationally, it's buildings. You have to, you just yeah. have to buy buildings. So, so you weren't really focused on the acquisition up. back then. You were just no, kind of running your business. Everything. The you, best didn't, you didn't acquire anything. Yeah. Which sucks because yeah. we were like, there's deals that we got rid of that were literally amazing like mm. if i had that deal come across my freaking desk today i would lose it i'd buy it in a minute mm. um and there's and you know to be fair it it helped us to grow to where we're at but mm. it was also like if, if we did if we kept half those deals mm -hmm. th there would be so much wealth to be you know passed down intergenerationally it would be disgusting yeah uh because we because we actually did like we found some terrific deals it's oh just, i can imagine right i mean everyone's got a situation there's some people who just don't need top dollar and don't care yeah and and they just need what they need and you give it to them and they they get out of, get on out of there yeah an interesting uh, insight we developed throughout the last few years as well was that a lot a majority actually of our sellers were investors Mm -hmm. And that's not something I ever expected. Like if, if you were like, who's going to be the seller? It's like, well, the distressed, uh, 
you know, as an archetype, like the distressed single parent that's like mm. just lost a job or something is I think what people think about. Um, what we found a lot more often than not was we were buying from other investors, right? Mm. We were buying from the tired investor. That's just like, I, I've kind of done what I needed to do here. The market's appreciated so much in the last 15, 20 years that I'm willing to sell it now. We'll even hold the financing. We'll do whatever you need or allow mm -hmm. you to renovate it before you, um, actually close like with an option or anything like that and they just wanted out of the deal because they were tired right mm -hmm. and they're kind of getting sick of ontario's residential tenancy act and landlord yeah. tenant board and everything like that and i respect that understandable um, yeah it's it's a pain in the ass to own buildings here but you know it's and i do actually think it's a bit more of a young man's sport like it's not it's not set up for the 75 year old guy who just wants to yeah, they don't, cash flow they don't want to fill out that paperwork it. and no. go through that process it's just because it never used to be like that i'm sure i yeah. mean i don't know when all these laws came in but i'm sure that that in that guy's lifetime there was a time where it was you didn't pay get the hell out yeah <laughs> well and things are obviously evidently very different today and yeah. uh, that provided us a lot of opportunity to talk to these people and just say like hey like we recognize we're paying like we're probably overpaying for these buildings but it's also probably going to continue appreciating because the market yeah. was so crazy. Like when money is being lent out yeah. at free, uh, below inflation numbers, mm -hmm. then you know the market's going to be on a run. And so kind and of- we're still think, there, eh? Like, I mean, for now, we're still at below inflation Like sub-inflate, yeah. But inflation's yeah. just horrifying at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it will start to look a little different. I mean, yeah. yeah. But especially knowing that it's underreported, you know, that will uh, probably be there for some time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. So I, I think that's where we we really just sort of changed our methodology over the last year to really go much more hand to hand combat, right? Like we're I much rather post ads or do door knocking or just even attend real estate events. Yeah. Right. Like that that's where a lot of our sellers are coming from. They're these guys with large portfolios. Yeah. They're ready to exit. Yeah. They're happy to exit with somebody that is prioritizing speed and convenience rather than, uh, you yeah. know, walking through a hundred parties on MLS or going yeah, through anything they don't like list. that. They just want to do it. So that's where uh, we've shifted our priority to more hand-to-hand -hand combat type things, self-generated leads from our from our salespeople's perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, from our perspective, it's just, I, I what I did was I just massively increased my splits to the salespeople. And then just expect less revenue in general. Um, so pared that business down a fair bit. And that sort of got me thinking too about, you know, what are be what are the opportunities now to connect with people, mm -hmm. right? And that's uh, ultimately I connected again with you as well. And I'm just like, God damn, like the last few years has been so frustrating to be sort of isolated from mm -hmm. all of the people that we used to see routinely, right? Yeah. Like it wouldn't be uh, out of place for me to run into you once a month or Mm -hmm. uh, at least once every other month. Yeah. And now it's been what we're saying four years or something. I can't even believe that. That's it's crazy. stupid. Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, my one, one of my larger goals as I was kind of reflecting for the year was like, well, what do I do for 2023? Like, yeah, what, what should I prioritize? And I was like, people need more connection. Like it, it's gross that I haven't seen a lot of the people I would mm -hmm. see routinely. Like even Luke, we brought up Luke, this podcast, right. Mm -hmm. Or the Sean Allen's or, even yeah. Jeff, I haven't seen for a long time. And I think a That's large part of that is we've just been isolated. So I'm, well, you guys uh, all used to work together, right? Like yeah. you, Matt, obviously Matt just decided, hey, I'm done with all this. Um, yeah. I don't know if he got rid of everything. It seems like he, he probably did make a move in that direction yeah. and then sunk his money into what he's got up there up yeah. north. 
And, and you still go up there, right? Sometimes. Yeah, I I spent uh, a few weeks there not so long ago, and yeah, uh, we we did split our attention a little bit and went uh, reasonably into like the Web three crypto NFT space for a yeah. little while and did extremely well there, which was fortunate because yeah. I know a lot of people might not have the same story. Right. Uh, so did you guys get out before did. before the uh, crypto bust? Um, on certain things, yes. On other things, I would say we have a lot of like what some would regard as blue chip assets that mm-hmm. are still like tremendously up from where we started. Yeah. Um, but nowhere near their all time highs. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a fascination this year yeah. when I was thinking through it and I was thinking like, okay, something needs to sort of change about my strategy here. And I recognize that like there's just a bit of a gap in terms of getting people together. So mm-hmm. uh, this year I am going to host a Canadian real estate conference. Okay. So it just literally called it the Canadian real estate conference. Gotcha. Uh, it's going to be in Toronto, September 9th. And cool. I'm hoping to really just get people back into a room because like, yeah, I have personally uh, felt my networking just general connections and like overall happiness has literally decreased for sure empirically over the last few years. And I think a large, a large product of that is like feeling like you have these struggles that are unique, right. Mm -hmm. In terms of like hiring or managing people or running projects or raising capital or finding partners, like all of this stuff has felt harder. And I don't actually think it is like, I think it's bullshit i think it's all still simple i think people still want to work with each other i think people still want to generally get connected and uh from my perspective we just lack some of the areas to be able to do that like there are conferences there are meetups but they're starting again i started mine up again yeah Yeah. and i saw that the the other day i noticed that and i think it's just we need that like i think Mm. we literally just need that it's so much better Mm. to play in this industry and to play this sport when there's other people to play it with. So it's a lot better. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many people who have figured out so many things and then, you know, I'll sit here feeling like I'm figuring, figuring out how to invent the wheel. Yeah. And that's the last place you want to be. And when I interview some people and I just see how they have every last little detail figured out, I mean, there's no way they did that on their own. Yeah. Like they, they leveraged books, they leveraged conferences and you ask the questions and you'll find out that's pretty much always the story. Well, and I think of my own sort of story and trajectory and four years ago, or if I just go five years ago, like I was like, yeah, owning a building would be great, great passive income or whatever. But that was like the the uh, extent of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to come up with the vendor take backs, to come up with wholesaling, to come yeah. up with, you know, how to properly network at these events. Like it's impossible to learn all these things on your own. And mentorship has been an extremely mm-hmm. uh extremely valuable pillar in my journey and so has been just being in these rooms like yeah i was able to talk to some of the guys that i regard as as the uh you know the pioneers in some of the things that i'm doing like being able to talk to luke boyron uh at the right club and all those events that we used to go to and just sort of like hey man like how how are you doing this right and him being willing and and mm-hmm. charitable enough to just entertain me as some 24 year old kid who didn't know anything, uh, that was incredibly valuable, right? And you know, being able to work with Matt for a number of years and and learn how to raise capital, learn how to manage these buildings, and a lot of it, you know, came at a decent expense to myself, right? Like volunteering or like doing doing whatever it took to just be in these rooms with mm-hmm. these people. Sure, like there there's a cost to it, but it saves you years 
And I think that that like yeah. uh, the time's the one piece that you just can't replace. Like unless you have unlimited money, then you could probably pay to learn every other skill yeah. that you ever want or hire the people. But until you get to that point, yeah, you need these rooms. Like you, you must be able to, or like yourself, like yeah. for people listening to this podcast, like what an incredible opportunity to just not have to make the same mistakes. Yeah, like, yeah I listened yeah, to the accounting it. one the other day that you have uh, published. Yeah, yeah. Like what a what a brilliant resource. Things mm -hmm. that I had no, I was listening. It was like son of a bitch. I had no idea about that, <laughs> right? Or like you were talking about yeah. on that particular episode, investing in the states. Yeah, and you're like, do not do this structure. Like, you, yeah, you definitely want the LP, right? And you're just like, okay, like, yeah, yeah I, I hadn't even really thought through that process, right? That's why I thought the uh, the good model was to have a meetup and an education. So the podcast was the education. The meetup is where you go and ask your questions and learn yeah. and, and and make you know, real people and people type connections. Yeah. Cause yeah, I agree with you. Nothing replaces seeing people. And, um, yeah, I think that there was no way that society would have become as divided as it was had people been able to really just connect with each other without that fear factor, which hundred percent, which I mean, we, you know, we were both very vocal about our level of distaste for all that insanity. Um, and you know, big reason why I went down to the States and, you know, saw opportunities there. Um, but what I wanted to dig into a little bit, um, you know, in our last little bit of this podcast is you, you talk about those influences. And I think that by structure, Matt's sort of idea to host that house and have, you know, four or five guys with a common goal under one roof, um, you can't replace that. Like that's, that's something that, um, that I think that you all benefited from. And uh, allowed you to, like you said, sheer force. Well, I think, yeah, like when you get that many together and you you put that goal together, hold each other accountable, like you're all there for a reason. Uh, pretty cool things happened. And I was I was very, uh, very much envious <laughs> back then saying, I, man, I wish that before, you know, I was in a long term relationship, I had figured something like that out, you know, back in my early 20s had figured something like that out. Yeah, it. it yeah. So recently, uh, Bob Iger's taken back over at Disney. And one of the things that he started off with was this, this statement, this uh, proclamation that like, you just simply cannot have the level of creativity and drive required to operate Disney at its potential, unless people are connecting person to person mm -hmm. in the office. And, and I, I really believe in that. Like, I mm -hmm. actually think that a lot of media richness, a lot of social connection, a lot of mm -hmm. intimacy is lost over Zoom or other equivalent video yeah. conferencing things. I, I really don't think that you can have the same conversation. No, you can't. You can't uh, because there's things that uh, there's things that are, are connected about us in the same room that is, it's more than just a visual and an auditory, yeah. right? Like that's that human connection thing that we can't even explain. Well, um, even just the level of focus. Yeah. Like I'm looking at you yeah. right now, completely not like distracted. I'm running a subscript in my head that like, yeah. okay, there's a tenant moving in tomorrow. I know I need cleaning. Do yeah. we get the lease? Do we know that he has proof of insurance? Do we know like yeah. I'm running that subscript, but I'm not clicking around yeah. uh, on a browser tab. Uh, yeah. looking into it right now. I'm not typing that email, right? I'm right, fully right, invested yeah. in understanding. It's way more. Yeah. And that's why I do this, right? I've gone back and forth with Zoom and, and I've always found that the connection is better. The conversation is better when we do it this way. I mean, occasionally we'll go with Zoom. Also the audio, like I just so many uh, pros. And of course I lose some people because they're in Edmonton or whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, I, those are the rare exceptions that I'll, I'll make occasionally. But yeah, this is the way to do it, I think. And um, 
I'm uh, I'm glad that we're you know back doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it'd be good, yeah, for us to connect more often. I don't know. I don't get I don't get down to London much with a one year old. So yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I'm I'll be living in uh, Collingwood the next year. But oh yeah, um, that that house was really quite a groundbreaking idea, right? Like, could can you get six people to li- or five people to live under one roof that are all like like essentially like you did in college, right? And yeah. How, how fun was that? But it but was a common. It was goal. all yeah. fun with no uh objectives and yeah. like the purpose of this was to have that same level of fun camaraderie um you know yeah. shared struggle shared goals mm-hmm. uh, but then systematize it right like every morning you you notice when the guy beside you is slacking you notice if they're not up on time you notice if they're not yeah. actually making time you for hold their each physical other accountable fitness, right right you notice what they're eating you notice yeah. everything and it gives you an opportunity to constructively say like hey man yeah. are you doing your best right and yeah and a lot of the time we do distract ourselves and i think that's one of the most dangerous things of the last few years has been alone at home in your home setting pretending to be productive you weren't yeah and that's i think that's the enemy of any entrepreneur any any self-employed person you sometimes don't know what to do next and you do busy work I've done it many times. Oh Way man, too many. I'm the king. Yeah. <laughs> Way too many. <laughs> yeah, I, I hold the belt in all weight divisions of uh, yeah. procrastinating or, or not And doing... you found that the house helped you break you out of it, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, how am I going to, right now, how am I going to pull up my phone and start sending an email if you and I are podcasting? Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you're it kind like, of forces you to what do, do things. Doing? It forces you to be systematic. Yeah. And I know from like, you know, I think a lot of it is about knowing yourself. Like for me, I would benefit from somebody forcing me to be more systematic. Yeah. Like I, I'm identifying that as something that's been a weakness. doesn't need to continue to be, but I should probably adapt to it a bit better. <laughs> well, I think most high-performing people are distractible, right? Yeah. We we want to be high-performing at everything. Yeah. And so you you see something, it's shiny, you you attack it, yeah. right? And you attack it with the same sort of uh, commitment and, and oh, devotion yeah. that you do everything else. And so you're like, son of a bitch. So you need people yeah. to keep you on task to be working on the things that are your special abilities. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's one thing the mansion did really well. Now, it was a double-edged sword because it's very easy for people to take away like for that to work everybody needs to believe the dream Mm -hmm. right the moment that one person is pulling is like swimming against the current it 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 offers an opportunity for the entire lot to get really really dangerously um off track and and so ultimately it it was this uh it, it was a large endeavor to keep that on track but Did did you have to replace people probably pretty regularly? Did you have to have conversations say, hey, this isn't working out? Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, that did happen, right? And a lot of it just came down to, you know, the sustainability of that type of model. Like, Mm -hmm. how long can you be at your best? Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, if you ask that question, honestly, it's not that long. Like, most likely, you can't hold your best performance for much longer than a, a week, a month, 90 days, right? Like so you got people who've been in there for a year just yeah. grinding it. Yeah. And like, the, were like, you working all hours? Like how? Yeah. Like yeah. you're working it's into the night? Like you, what about girlfriends, things like that? No, it was not allowed at the house, right? So, you can't bring girls to the house. So no. you're leaving? Like yeah. when do people leave to see their girlfriends? Whenever there wasn't things to do, but there was always things to do. <laughs> so like we we built a really high performing culture there. But if for a yeah. moment you let that slip, it, it very quickly degenerates. Right. It regresses to the mean. I think at the average, we're all yeah. 
basically not our best selves and there's yeah. lots of opportunity to be there. and that includes obviously myself right like i'm not yeah. talking about them i'm talking about everybody yeah. involved like if if you're not extremely accountable and and objective about the experience and and fully bought in it it slides mm-hmm. quickly so uh, so how long did that last like that's not a thing anymore no no we did that for two years so up until what it would have been into 2020 sometime yeah yeah Yeah. i would say so and then i think covid like you know relatively put a bit of a wrench into uh a lot of things right like and this is the start right yeah that was the start of me realizing that like what we were doing and like both in the house and also in like driving down the 401 every single week to the meetup of the day. So it was like London on fire. There was the right club. There was yeah. on Rhea. There was uh, a, yeah. a handful lyric. There was a handful of other things that we just wouldn't miss. Yeah. And uh, that type of connection, the people that we saw watching people go through their journeys, learning their yeah. learning, like getting that shared knowledge, that tacit stuff where like, maybe they're not never going to write it down for themselves. But if you need that problem solved, you'll ask mm-hmm. the question and they'll have it. Yeah, yeah. And that type of thing, like that transfer, is like invaluable there's no way to 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 get that any other way in my in my opinion right wow um so i i found myself really suffering from a, a lack of that the last couple of oh, years oh yeah like i could see this is way more of a shift for you because of where you were with the integration with all those people and then to just go to like a screeching halt that would be hard yeah it well it was like yeah. full stop yeah right um so that it was just weird and like, yeah. I, I'm a social introvert, if you can buy into that. Like, yeah. I, I love to have my own space and my own time, but I really, really, yeah. really appreciate being able to just like, like what we're doing right now. This is yeah. amazing to me, right? Like to just be able to sit down, have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's going on? Like, what's new? What have you learned? What were some of yeah. your biggest mistakes? What were your biggest challenges? Yeah. What would you do differently if you were in my position? Like, how the hell do I skip some of the things that it took you thousands yeah, of dollars 100%. and a bunch of time to learn? Yeah, on that note, like lay it out for me. Like you obviously took away some big learning points from your experience working with, you know, Matt, living in the house, and then of course carrying on the business. Um, you know, structurally in your day, uh, goal setting. Like what what's the magic sauce? How do you put it together? You know, obviously, I, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. I can tell you're very much putting in good things and getting good things out. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I do believe in having a routine and a structure to your day Mm -hmm. uh, and that that will make you a lot more productive. So, you know, one of the most powerful things I think anybody can do day one that's it's free is just start using a calendar. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you should have everything in your calendar laid out that you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that the calendar helps you to understand what's actually a priority uh, for your business. And that helps you to stay productive, not busy. And it helps you to be on time and keep your promises. So what goes in the calendar then? I mean, obviously meetings, this is in your calendar. Yes. In mine too. Uh, but what else? Uh, I, I would, so there's different buckets everybody has in their life. So I would say there's like spirituality, uh, friends, family, health, wellness, and then wealth. Yeah. Right. And I, I like to have all of those things in my calendar. Yeah. So my calendar is relatively full. Like if I go over a minute on eating or something like that, that that's not the point that we're going to like micromanage our yeah. every minute of the day. The point is like, if you actually care about something, 
you should probably be measuring whether or not it gets done. Yeah. And by putting it in your calendar, even if you don't do it, you know you didn't do it. Yeah. And so that can at least be a motivation to get you back into that thing. So, so do you do you sub like sub break that down in terms of wealth, like lead generation, phone calls, connecting with other investors? Like, do you have that blocked and where and like how do you decide? And I find that one of the hard things with that is sometimes schedule becomes a bit of a flow and you know you get yeah. things that come up and they eat into that you know how do you handle all that yeah so one one way that i've handled that particular experience when you're in a bit of a flow and things you, you know you have some other thing you need accomplished but maybe it's not the right time for that mm -hmm. um I, I like to group my activities in terms of their nature so like mm -hmm. if i'm if I'm uh, if I need to do lead generation, for example, that generally means talking to people. Mm -hmm. So I might bucket a bunch of my talking to people activities together so that I'm yeah. in the mindset where like I'm thinking about talking to people. Yeah. I'm thinking about smiling on the on the other end of the phone. I'm standing yeah. up. I'm high energy. I'm well rested. And I'm not thinking at that time about um, the emails I need to be sending yeah. or the accounting that needs to be done mm -hmm. or um or even necessarily like the workout like it should already be out of the way so that i'm not like in the groove of talking to somebody and yeah. then i'm like thinking about oh shit, what am i doing lag day today or something stupid like yeah i, I like to group all those activities together yeah. and um one of the easy ways to do that is to pick days so like a lot of people for example are used to like a slower monday mm -hmm. um and so like rather than fight everybody on that why not just have your meetings be on a Monday where it's like Monday is not really a productive day. It's about laying out the productivity yeah. of the week and then have your midweek activities be highly productive where maybe that's where a lot of your lead gens getting done or a lot mm -hmm. of the things that will actually bring new money into the company. I like the ideas of uh, the idea of meetings on Mondays. That's a good idea uh, because I I'm a guy who just like can't stand meetings, especially like Zoom meetings and stuff like yeah. that. But I mean, generally speaking, like I love this kind of thing. I'm not a big fan of like business meetings. Yeah. I'll, I'll happily talk to investors, talk to, you know, people like that. But uh, I like the idea. You put it all on a Monday. And then even if you don't feel like you're really crushing on Monday, well, now you get Tuesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, one, yeah. one thing that Zoom did do reasonably well is it allowed us to all kind of have these meetings yeah. where you can be like, do the pajama Monday thing where like yeah. Monday doesn't really, Monday feels like a Sunday, but you're actually getting a lot done for the company where yeah. um, the next sort of focus. So like own your calendar and make sure that you own your day from that perspective yeah. and hit all your buckets. The other thing is lead and lag measures. Like what's actually important? Yeah. What What's the mission? What's the what's the measurements that are going to tell us if we're on track for that? Yeah. And how do we measure actual success? And those are your lead and lag measures. Yeah. So for us, it would be like flyer sent, doors knocked, um, like calls made essentially for lead gen. Mm -hmm. And then that would be a lot of the lead stuff that we could measure. Like, did we actually send out the appropriate amount of marketing or knock the amount yeah. of doors or make the amount of offers that would allow to. us to have success? And then what is success? Well, maybe we have a, a $3 million target this year. Um, so success from that perspective, from a lag measure perspective is like, you know, of all those offers and calls made and everything, how many did we close? What did that represent on a dollar figure? And how, how far yeah. away are we from the goal? So that tells us how to actually better manage the calendar. Mm -hmm. Like if the calendar is not seeing enough success in the lead measures, you, you obviously need to make more time in your calendar yeah. for that lead measure to occur right. in order to get the result at the other end, which is your lag measures. So that that's a large part of it. Um, uh, some other large challenges, I would say, structurally, are understanding like, you know, what are you great at, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
um, in our first podcast together, I talked about like I had done some of the drywall and contracting stuff in that first project. And like, I'm just miserable at that stuff. Like I mm-hmm. should just never do that ever. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse for me to do that because I'm not good at it. It takes me forever. And by the time it's done, it doesn't even look half as good as the guy who would have done it twice the time, right? For, yeah. for a little bit more cost. So I think understanding what you're really good at is important. And then the biggest challenge that I have to date is how the hell do you actually hire great people um, mm-hmm. that that can deal with that? And I think that HR is honestly, it's like the subject that nobody cared about when I was in business school, but it's, yeah. it's literally the biggest problem apart from sales. If you can figure out the sales part, you'll probably survive long enough to have the HR problem. Out, yeah. But then the HR problem to me is still, is still one of the largest uh, challenges anyways, is to just understand like, where are great people? Where do they yeah. come from? And I think entrepreneurs often, uh, they want to like hire people that are like themselves, but we're, we're the worst people to hire. That's why we yeah. don't have jobs, right? Like yeah. we actually are <laughs> terrible to hire. We're unemployable yeah. uh, to a large extent. So I think yeah. developing systems and processes for hiring would be the next thing is like yeah. early on, if you're doing everything yourself, at least write down what that process looks like yep. so that when you hire somebody, mm-hmm. they can very easily become trained and effective and productive on your team to yeah. be able to replace you. And I think yeah. by doing just those three things, like m- using measurements to understand how your day should be laid out, laying your day yeah. out to deal with that, and then using some you know game theory optimal plays there. When the game changes, change your behavior. Don't yeah. s- start doing the same thing. Uh, and then figuring out how to best... Uh, systematize process specialize and and write down how you actually do things (laughs) create your systems yeah Yeah. michael e gerber's emith revisited that was one of those cool books that i read way back because tim ferris recommended it and cool book uh basically said exactly that everything like you anyone should be able to pick up your manual and do the job because they see everything's written out and shows how to do it i haven't done that but i found like zoom to its credit uh for screen recording just how i do tasks oh it's brilliant yeah i just explain what i'm doing and then i put it in a a knowledge bank for my assistant who now she knows how to do that task and if she ever needs a refresher it's right there yep and uh, that's the kind of that's kind of the way i've done manuals it's not written it's video format but it still does the same thing well that's fantastic we have the same thing it's a google drive Mm -hmm. you know uh shared between whoever it would be relevant to and and Mm -hmm. that's the same thing screen screen recordings from zoom of just like hey here's how you Find these files, open them, uh, modify yeah, them, we save this. them, and uh, bookkeeping entries, things like that. Yeah, just make a video about it. Yep. Yeah, that stuff all uh, all can be uh, automated once you know how. So, um, what would be your top one, two book recommendations that you you would say would people would benefit from if you have like business or mindset, whatever? Okay. Um, I was a huge fan and I've read it many times. Uh, Regardless of what you think about the character, I believe that the book is fantastically useful. Uh, And that would be Be Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. Okay. Um, Again, I think there will be people with split uh, Mm -hmm. reactions to Grant Cardone. He's very bombastic. He's very very loud. And I appreciate that that turns Mm -hmm. some people off. But I do believe that book, if you you read it for what it's worth, it is a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. mindset for the entrepreneur who wants to not only get started on on almost any type of business but stay in the game like i think you actually do uh you know you could think he's being a little superfluous or bombastic but like i don't think it is like mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur sucks most people shouldn't do it <laughs> uh, i think almost everybody shouldn't do it 
And then the people that do need to be ready and willing to commit to like really hard times. Like there's just adversity all yeah. over the place. Like unless you have a ton of capital and even then you just find ways to, to blow it in. Yeah, you invest ways. it into things and then you find you have none. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think that be obsessed or be average is really great because yeah. uh, it, it it covers a lot of those points that like you actually just need to become great at selling yourself and then staying yeah. in the game long enough for it to matter. Yeah, uh, I think that's important. The other book that I find really impactful was, uh, um, there's, well, there's two by the same author, but uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, I, th- I found to be very great, which really helps you to build the mindset out that like, sure, uh, somebody didn't do their job, but like that's actually on you. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur, you need to really understand that whenever an employee Whenever you, whenever somebody, a stakeholder in your business isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, in air quotes, um, that is honestly just something that you can take control of. Like, I'm not saying go do the work for them. I'm saying build the process out so that that experience doesn't happen twice. Yeah. And I think that that's an extremely important lesson that there's in that book he covers. There's no bad teams, only bad leaders. Yeah. True. That's a fact. Yeah. Right. Any of my shortcomings in business have been because of me. Right. It's it's yeah. At the end of the day, it's always it's always your responsibility, whether fault. You could argue that that's not even worth talking about, it's but not, it is your yeah. responsibility because fault doesn't change the outcome. Right. Yeah, it so, doesn't. So what does it matter whose fault it is? If something goes wrong or one of your employees does something wrong. Yep. At the end of the day, you could have done something different that would have prevented that. Yeah. So whatever. It doesn't matter. Responsibility. And a large part of that, too, is de- is actually decentralizing command is one of the mm-hmm. points that he talks about, which really just means like you don't need to tell people how to do their job and you shouldn't yeah. need to be there, you know, being that controlling micromanager. You actually don't need to do that. It's mm-hmm. much more important to convey to them your intent of what needs to be done mm-hmm. and building the systems and processes to guide them to do it efficiently every single time. Yeah. So you get the same result with any yeah. t- any person doing the input. So in building the, the culture, I think is a is a, a yes. big part. That's probably the hardest part that the leader has, you know, yeah. what kind of culture you're creating there and and what's expected you know how do you treat your people and how how do they expect you to treat them and and then how will they in turn treat others yeah and so the second book that really uh bridges more into that idea yeah. uh from that same author jocko willink is called leadership strategy and tactics okay and that's where he he having read extreme ownership you know a lot of the yeah. like strategies yeah now, Leadership and Strategy and Tactics is the book that really covers like, okay, you know all this stuff, but implementing it and why it's so important to get it right is yeah. like completely the difference between having a high-performing team yeah. and having a team that just maybe they get the job done, but it takes twice as long and they hate doing it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, those are really important lessons to learn. And a lot of it is... Uh, a lot, a lot of it is seemingly evident. Like when you hear it, you're like, oh, I kind of understand that. I should have known that. And a lot of it is counter counterintuitive where yeah. you're like, you're hearing this and you're like, oh, damn, dude, like I made a lot of mistakes. And like at reading that book back, like if, when I think back on some of the decisions I've made and, and leadership strategies or, you know, things like that, like son of a bitch. I'm like, man, ego is a big problem. Mm-hmm. You got to have humility right yeah. you you have to be able to lead people um that want to go with you and one of the the best ways to do that is to set the example right like mm-hmm. you can't be telling people what to do yeah it, it, it just doesn't work it, like it doesn't work with your kids it doesn't work with your dog so you're it saying lead by anything. example yeah lead by example yeah 
Uh, anyways, the the book will cover that a lot better. No, that's than great. I will, that's but... great. Three books that I have not read. So oh, um, really? Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be good. I've heard of Extreme Ownership, yeah. but I haven't read it yet. So it, it's tremendous. Yeah, I've got like probably uh, easily over a hundred books in my Audible, but uh, yeah, we'll yep. have to add a couple more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got a, fr- a few credits to use. Um, okay, so uh, Adam, we've gone a, a little over time on this one. Where do people reach you? Uh, so I think Instagram is probably still the best place to find me. So it's Adam JD Martin on Instagram. Um, I would love to, if you guys are interested in connecting in person, there will be the Canadian real estate, uh, mm-hmm. conference. So, uh, there should be a link to that below. You're going to, you have a link. They can already buy tickets to that. Yep. I okay. pushed it live this morning, actually. So your listeners will be the first yeah. to do it. Did a test transaction. Everything works. So, all right, cool. Uh, listeners of this podcast too get 15% off. There's a discount code Heinz, uh, okay. there already. So excited for that but yeah really just instagram or or we'll see you in person either at that event or your meetup or any of the other events i'm i'm planning Sounds on attending great. almost every uh meetup that's around so love it see you okay. in person cool man well i'll see you at the meetup on uh well i'm not going to give the date because uh, by the time this airs it'll be different but be at the meetup we'll see you out <laughs> there Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors. Are you interested in getting started in investing in the United States but not sure where to start? Why not attend the Investing in the U.S. Mastermind hosted by myself and Nick Van Dyke on March 4th, 2023. Nick and I will be covering topics ranging from A to Z, new construction, multifamily development, Airbnb, and much, much more, as well as the basics, including opening a bank account and understanding the proper corporate structure. We'll have several keynote speakers touching on very specific topics. And most importantly, you'll be sitting in a room with people who are highly focused and highly committed to investing in the United States. For more information, visit investinginthus.com and send me a DM on Instagram for a special discount code. I'll look forward to seeing you at the event.